Welcome to episode one of the She Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Renaud Day. I'm an author, speaker, certified coach, and a master's level pastoral counselor with over a decade of experience working with women facing pornography addiction and other unwanted sexual behaviors. While each week's episode of the She Recovery Podcast will typically feature guest interviews and conversation, in this episode one, I share my own story of addiction recovery, as well as why I decided to start this podcast and what you as the listener can expect to hear in the weeks, months, and perhaps even years to come. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and I hope you enjoy the show. Here we are, the very first episode of the She Recovery Podcast. I am the host, Crystal Renault Day. More about me in a minute, but first, I want to talk about this podcast. This podcast, the She Recovery Podcast, is the first of its kind that I know of personally that will exclusively tackle issues that are facing women right now who are struggling with pornography and other unwanted sexual behaviors. But we're not just going to talk about behaviors. We're going to talk about the why, the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual aspects of these behaviors. Because when we do that, when we really dig into what's underneath the behavior, that's when women can really begin to heal and move forward in wholeness. I'm immensely passionate about helping women live their lives free of shame because for far too long, I myself was stuck in an addictive cycle of sin and shame. At the age of 10 years old, I was exposed to pornography and that exposure led me to a nearly decade long struggle with porn and other sexual behaviors. At the age of 10 years old, I really didn't know or have a good idea about sex, a good understanding of sex at that point. I may have had a conversation with my mom a little bit, and I may have seen a sex scene in a movie, but I didn't understand sexuality, biblical sexuality, the way that God designed sex at that age. And so when I found that magazine, at the age of 10, it was captivating. It was intriguing. I was shocked. I was even a little fearful about what this magazine could contain. And all of these conversations in my head were going on at the same time. And as I'm staring at the cover of this magazine, I haven't even opened it up yet. And yet I'm faced with a decision. I'm faced with a decision to either open the pages and begin to consume this, or I could leave it where I found it and then go tell my mom or dad, hey, I found this in my brother's bathroom. And so I did. I had a decision to make that day. And at 10 years old, you don't make good decisions. You don't have the the cognitive and the neurological ability to make good decisions. 
all the time. And so at 10 years old, when you're seeing something that is that intriguing and that shocking, that captivating, you consume it. And so for me, maybe similar to you too, when you first stumbled upon pornography as as a teenager or even older than that, you are so captivated by it that you're, that it, it, it pulls you in. It's so enticing and it pulls you in. And so at 10 years old, I am opening the pages of this magazine and I'm overwhelming my senses with data, with information, with imagery that really no one should be witness to, but particularly not a 10-year-old girl. But you know what happened that day? Opening those pages, consuming that material, it awakened something within me. It awakened not just my sexuality, but it awakened me emotionally. Because for some inexplicable reason, this material was beginning to appease or nurture a relational and emotional need that I had as a child. And so I continued to consume this material every day. I'd come home from school, after school, wander downstairs to the basement, go to that bathroom, find those magazines, and I would consume them. I would look through them for as long as I could before somebody else came home and did that for, it's hard to tell now how long I did that, but I did it for quite a while until one day I went down to that basement bathroom and they were no longer there. I don't know if my brother got rid of them, hid them better or what, but they were no longer available to me. I no longer had my secret stash, my secret activity that I had every afternoon after school. And something began to come over me. It was a sense of panic. It was a sense of, oh my gosh, but I need it. Where can I get more of that? And that, my friends, is the beginnings, the indication of addiction, of compulsion, of the need and drive that addiction has and demands of you. So at 10 years old, 11 years old, maybe 12 years old at this point, I am, again, at a crossroads. I have a decision to make. I can say, well, those magazines are no longer accessible to me, so I should just walk away and be glad that I'm no longer exposed to this stuff. But instead, I began to look for other options. Those other options included looking through my dad's video cabinet. He didn't have pornography, but he had R-rated movies that had some nudity in them. And I would watch those after school. Get that VCR out and start to fast forward through movies and find sex scenes and nudity. And I would consume that. And then throughout a little little more time went by, we got a family computer. And of course, I've already aged myself a bit by magazines and VHS tapes and all of that. Some of you were saying to yourself, what the heck is a VHS tape? Um, but it's what happened before DVDs and before Blu-rays. <laughs> um, but then we got a home computer as a, fam- a family computer that was in our living room. And you know what? My parents, God love them, did absolutely everything they knew to do at that time to protect my brothers, particularly from the things that the world had to offer that they shouldn't have been involved in. 
They had no idea that I was the one that really needed the safeguarding, but I was glad they did what they did, but it wasn't enough. They had a lockbox on the cable. We we broke that a long time ago. You know, we had dial-up internet. Dial-up was the ring, 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 ding, 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 internet um, at that time. But they had filtered internet, filtered internet that was supposed to safeguard me from what was out there in the world. Um, but I was able to get around that. And for the, and so early on with a ho- new home computer, I'd come home from school, get on the computer, log on and look at porn there. Not only that, I would engage in, in chat rooms talking with who knows who they were. They could have been people my age, but they're most likely they're people who were much older than me, possibly women, possibly men. And they were talking to me in very sexual manners. And I was talking back to them in very sexual manners. And it continued that way for quite a long time. I also engaged in phone sex. I would call um, 900 numbers, 800 numbers. I never paid for that because I didn't want to get caught, but I, I listened to the the introductions and those are provocative. And of course, all the while throughout all of this, I'm engaging in masturbation compulsively and I am overwhelmed with shame. I'm overwhelmed with guilt. I'm overwhelmed with confliction of I hate this and I love this. I hate this and I love this. And I'm sure that you listening to this right now, if this is your struggle, you resonate with that tension, the tension of loving the thing you hate and hating the thing you love. I didn't go to church a whole lot growing up. Um, My mom um, was really into religion and and Christianity and was a wonderful woman of God, is still today a wonderful, wonderful woman of God. She herself had some uh, mental health issues, kept us from going to church for a while. But at 16, I'm finding myself back in church with my mom. And I'm finding myself in a youth group environment. And I'm finding myself with another decision to make. I've been invited by the youth uh, workers, youth ministry workers, and the youth pastor to go to summer camp with the youth group, uh, church summer camp. And I had a decision to make because there was, of course, the reality of if I were to go to camp, um, we didn't have smartphones. It wasn't as if I could have my smartphone and watch porn um, while at camp. So I knew that by going to camp, I was making a, a decision that I'd be leaving my porn, my activities at home, including masturbation, for like a week. And at that point, a week of time without these things seemed absolutely impossible. So again, I had a decision to make and I decided it was easier to say yes than to explain why I didn't want to go. And so I decided, hey, I'm going to I'm going to go to camp. We'll see how this works out. Maybe I'll be distracted enough, busy enough, tired enough that I won't miss the things that I crave every day, the porn, the masturbation, the chatting, etc. Prior to this church camp experience, I had made a decision of faith when I was eight years old at the last church, my mom and I, my parents and I, my mom and I, my brothers and I um, attended. And 
it was a decision of faith at eight years old that I, to this day, I can look back and say, I didn't really know what I was saying when I was saying I wanted to accept Christ into my heart and mind. I remember that there was opportunity at eight years old in that in that Sunday school classroom to accept Jesus. And I remembered a lot of hands going up, a lot of saying, yeah. And so peer pressure, honestly, was me at eight years old raising my hand saying, yes, I accept Jesus. But it really wasn't a heart decision. It wasn't a decision made out of true surrender. I believe eight-year-olds can make that decision and they and we should celebrate that. But for me personally, it was not a true decision of faith. It was a more of a everybody else is doing this, so I'll I'll raise my hands too. And I was very confused about that. So fast forward half my life later, at 16 years old, I am uh now back at summer camp, I'm hearing about Jesus, I'm hearing about God, I'm hearing about how much he loves me. I'm hearing about a God who loves me, who loves me unconditionally, and that if I accept him right now, I will have a father, a father in heaven who loves me and who loves me unconditionally. My little 16-year-old heart at that time desperately was craving the love of a father. I have a dad, and he's a wonderful man, but he was a provider more than a nurturer as I was growing up. And so I really didn't have the nurturing, loving father that my heart was craving. And so, and I think largely what pornography was covering up for me intimacy wise. And so when I heard about this father in heaven, this father in heaven who loved me and who loved me unconditionally, I desperately wanted that. I wanted to sign up for that and experience that for myself. And so at that summer camp, camp pastor is named Andy Addis. He's pretty well known. You may actually be familiar with him. Um, I I so appreciate him now as a friend. Um, I haven't seen him in a long time, but I still consider him a friend. And I walked forward um, with the invitation to accept Jesus as my heart, as my Lord and Savior that night. Not just my Lord and Savior, but as my father, as my heavenly dad. And I also had it in my mind that if I went forward and I made this decision of faith, that perhaps the porn, the masturbation, everything else would be less satisfying and I wouldn't desire it anymore. Unfortunately, while my decision of faith was very real and my surrender to Christ was very real, it did not break the chains that day of pornography addiction in my heart, in my in my heart, in my mind, in my soul. I still very much struggled with porn and masturbation, other sexual behaviors when I returned home from camp. And at first that was incredibly disappointing and hurtful. And I was confused saying, well, I thought I, I thought I gave my heart to Christ. Am I not a good enough Christian? Why am I still struggling with this? But the truth of the matter is I was isolated. No one knew about this struggle and I didn't have accountability. I didn't have support. I didn't have counseling to help me deal with everything else that was underneath those behaviors. And so I still struggled. And I still struggled in isolation and shame and secrecy. And here's why, in large part. At 16 years old, 17 years old, and really from age 10 forward, I deeply 
in a very real way, believed I was the only girl who ever struggled with pornography. I had never heard of any other women, any other girls. No one was talking about it. And so I firmly believed I was the only one. The only conversations about pornography I'd ever heard were on Sunday morning on a church sermon around Valentine's Day for some reason, where the pastor would tell men, the men in the audience, hey, watching pornography is adultery. Watching pornography does not honor your wife. Men, stop watching porn. He never referenced women. He never referenced girls. He never referenced the idea or even fathomed the so fathomed the idea that a girl could struggle with porn. I never heard it. So clearly it didn't exist. And so for me, I felt very alone. And I felt like if I told someone about it, they would look at me like I had seven heads and send me to an insane asylum. That is truthfully how I felt at that time. And so the idea of bringing someone into my shame, bringing someone into my sin seemed impossible, absolutely impossible. And so I still struggled. And because of my newfound faith, I struggled in a different way where the shame of it was so much more intense because I just knew that God was disappointed in me and hated me and could not possibly love me unconditionally, even though I was told that he did. And so I struggled with that shame, guilt, and pain for several more years. And on my 19th birthday, I am volunteering at a youth event, volunteering, being in the youth group, singing and worship team, all these things. I, w- I was doing them all the time. I was serving all the time, hoping that through osmosis, I would be set free of porn and I would no longer want these things. So I'm finding myself at at my 19th birthday volunteering at a youth event where this lady named Anne, she was uh, just an acquaintance of mine who I had met maybe once before this night. Her husband was playing in one of the bands for this fundraising youth band music event. And she walks up to me as I'm standing around awkwardly, as I would do and still do, quite frankly, standing around awkwardly. She came up to me and she said, hey, can I sit with you? My husband's playing and I have nothing else to do. And I said, sure, sit with me. We had some small talk back and forth a little bit just about how we're doing. Hey, how are you? Hey, I'm fine. And then Anne begins to share with me more about her story. And, you know, sometimes in, not just sometimes, but like all the time in the church, when we begin to share our stories or our testimonies, quote unquote, We like to share the pretty parts. We like to share the parts. We kind of skim over the dirty, messy, broken parts of our stories. And we like to just talk about how good God is and how we've been, uh, we've been saved and we're so glad and all of that. But you know what? Anne didn't do that. Anne didn't gloss over the messy parts of her story. In fact, She spoke to me in a place in my heart that I desperately needed to hear. And she said to me, Crystal, as I was growing up in my my high school years, I struggled with pornography. 
And right now in my life, you know what, it's actually starting to creep up again. And at this time, Anne is probably 23, 24 years old. I'm 19. And she's telling me, this is starting to creep up again in my life. And you seem like somebody who might be able to like, maybe help keep me accountable. And I am sitting here listening to her story. And I'm sitting here thinking, does she somehow know my story? Does she somehow, like, did God tell her my story? Did she somehow see that I, you know, I looked at porn on the church computer because I did? But no, she didn't. And I, but I had a decision to make again, again, with these decisions, these crossroad decisions. I had the opportunity in front of me to accept the help I've been praying for which is the realization that I'm not alone and that there is other women who struggle and that there's help for me. Or I could turn away and look at this, this chick in the face and be like, uh, not interested in helping you. Sorry. That's your story and walk away. I'm thankful that I made the decision to say the two most powerful words in the English language. And those two words are me too. And that day, November 19, 2003, I made a decision to walk into the opportunity for recovery and freedom. And I'll be honest with you, my recovery journey wasn't perfect, but I wasn't alone anymore. I had an accountability partner. I had somebody to walk alongside me who to support me to be able to go to at times of temptation and struggle. And I didn't have to go to them in shame. I could go to them in freedom to say, you know what? I slipped up, but God's good and I'm forgiven. I just need your help to get me through this next hurdle and to always get back up. But through the process of recovery also meant going to counseling. It meant working through the deeper issues that were driving my addiction, that were driving my behaviors. And so while it wasn't a perfect journey, it was a good journey. And really, it was a journey that has led me to where I am here today, talking to you on this podcast. The She Recovery podcast is a division of SheRecovery.com. SheRecovery.com actually began back in 2009 as a nonprofit I founded called Dirty Girls Ministries. Dirty Girls Ministries and now SheRecovery.com exists to provide help, hope, and healing to women who struggle with porn and other unwanted sexual behaviors. This is done through a variety of services, including weekly virtual groups, online community, and now, of course, this podcast. SheRecovery.com is also a part of my counseling organization, Living on Purpose. Living on Purpose is the parent organization now for everything she recovery. At Living on Purpose, along with my team, I provide women with coaching and counseling services for a wide variety of emotional and relational issues, including but not limited to porn and sexual addiction. When I first started Dirty Girls Ministries back in 2009, it was two years after I had started leading my very first recovery groups at my church. It was starting to become clearer that this issue was not small. 
And it was not just a few women who struggled with porn, but this was a massive issue that was affecting women across the United States and around the world. But I launched Dirty Girls Ministries at a time when women were not talking about porn. And those who were talking about porn were talking about it as their husband struggles, largely. There were a few women, Marnie Faree, Jessica Harris, who were talking about female sex addiction and pornography addiction at the time. But it's been a very lonely decade. It's been a lonely 14 years of doing this work up until now. Fast forward to now, over a decade later, things are starting to change a bit. More and more women are stepping up. They're rising up. They're sharing their stories of addiction and recovery, which is amazing. We need more voices. We need more women. But my journey through the last 14 years of working with women, getting educated, getting my master's degree, all these things, they've led me to the realization that it's not enough to simply share our stories. In fact, my story at one time was shocking and provocative, but it is old news. My story has been heard on a thousand podcasts, and radio shows, and written about in newspapers and the New York Times of all places. But sharing stories alone does not instill change. We must provide tools for helping women get free. We must invite women into the discussion. Ask them, what is it that you need to help them recover? Not just one woman, not just two, but as many women as we possibly can in order for female pornography addiction to get the recognition it deserves on a global scale. Research, resources, etc. Because women do not heal and do not recover from porn and sex addiction in the same way that men do. We need our own resources. If no, if in no small part to the fact that we need to know we're not alone. And if all we have are resources that are geared towards men, you know what? They're going to feel alone. Because I know because I was one of them. And so we, we must broaden the discussion. We must broaden the dialogue. must broaden the narrative to allow women to be at the table. And that is a huge reason for me to start this podcast. This weekly podcast. Yes, weekly podcast will bring you topics and conversations that are seldom heard in Christian circles, but not just in Christian circles, but really secularly um, that are really talked about in a way that, that in a way that is healthy, that is free of shame and is going to bring women to a place of healing. Now, what I will say is that this podcast is not going to be polished. It's not going to be polished. It's not going to be clean, but it's going to be very, very real and as real as I can possibly make it. I hope that listening to me, listening to my guests, it will feel like your big sister or your aunt, your your cool aunt um, is talking to you in such a way that it just feels familiar. It feels safe and that you come each week to listen to this show and know that you're going to walk away 
hearing a story, hearing a piece of advice, getting a resource that is going to aid in your recovery, in your, in your, in your journey towards wholeness in Christ and ultimately helping you to become the women that God has created you to be free of shame, free of guilt and free of addiction. So I hope you will join me in the weeks to come where I will bring you conversations I have with Felicia Masonheimer, Jay Stringer, Jessica Harris, Sheila Gregoire, Julie Slattery, Marnie Faree, and really so many more women and even some men in there who will provide you with opportunities for healing, for growth, for recovery, and that you will walk away from each week's episode with a little bit more advice, a little bit more next step, your next right step each and every week. Thank you for listening to the She Recovery Podcast, a resource of SheRecovery.com. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to share it with those who you think will enjoy it too. You can also visit SheRecovery.com slash podcast to find our listener notes for this episode, to submit listener comments or questions, support this podcast, or to learn more about sponsorship and ad opportunities. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you'll join me again next week.